Hey, Victory family, I couldn't be more excited to have Pastor John Jenkins with us. He's a friend and a man of amazing faith who truly loves Jesus and Jesus' church. Pastor John has actually been preaching the gospel as a licensed minister since the ripe old age of 15, if you can believe it. And as of today, he's been the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Glen Arden, Maryland for 32 years. He's devoted to serving others through his ministry and through various leadership roles. He's actually actively serving as the chairman of the board for the National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, and he's traveled literally around the world preaching and teaching about the love of Jesus. He's committed to helping others become disciples of Jesus. He's a husband. He's a father of six. He's a grandfather of six. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4.15 that even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you really don't have many fathers. And Pastor Jenkins is truly a father to many. And he's here today to share his Dear Church letter with us. So let's give a warm victory welcome to Pastor John Jenkins. Thank you. Thank you. Don't stay standing if you don't mind. I want you to pray with me for just a moment. Can y'all do that? Thank you. I appreciate that. Father, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share with uh, the Victory Church. I'm grateful for each one of these persons present today uh, via this building or online. I'm thankful for the Hamilton and Midtown campuses as well. I pray that you would anoint us to be your mouthpiece and that your name get all of the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Good to be here today. God bless you for uh, welcoming me here. I've had a great time while I've been here. I want to salute uh, my friend, my brother, Pastor J uh, Johnson Bowie, and uh, his lovely wife. Uh, dear, dear friends, Pastor uh, Bowie and I are in uh, a, a cohort program together, and uh, he has been a great friend and a supporter. And so I salute him and celebrate him. I want to thank Pastor Rouse, Pastor Dennis, had an opportunity to meet him today for the first time and to be able to have an opportunity to break bread with him. Wonderful man of God. Uh, I want to thank Pastor uh, Darius and his, and his wife have hosted my wife and I. My wife is here. Can I talk about her for a minute? Uh, stand up, honey. I want them to see my beautiful bride or... Come August 23rd, we will be married 41 years. I don't even look 41 years of age, do I? Come on, tell it, to be honest. Uh, we got six kids, and um, she's been a wonderful bride and wife. Um, one day, um, we were driving, and uh, we pulled up to this convenience store, and standing in front of the convenience store was one of her old flames. And uh, he, was, he was drunk. He looked homeless. He was... And I thought to myself, she almost married that guy. And I started thinking about the things that God has empowered and enabled us to accomplish. We've traveled the world. I have preached around the world. And she's been with by my side. And... And I'm, I pastor a significant church. It's the largest church in the state of Maryland. Um, and I turned to her and I said, aren't you glad you married me instead of that joker right there? <laughs> she said if she had married that joker, 
he would be the pastor of the First Baptist Church. Do not encourage that foolishness. Um, but she's been a blessing to me. I have, I have a couple of friends here today, uh, Pastor Monty Norwood of the Bible Way International Church. I'm not sure how far they are from here, but he and his wife, Wanda, are here. Stand up. Uh, actually, he's, he's Bishop uh, Monty Norwood. Stand up, uh, Bishop. Glad to have you. They, they not only came, they brought several of their ministers with them. Y'all stand up, all of those who came with uh, Pastor Norwood. So glad for y'all. Thank y'all so much for coming. Appreciate it. All right. I want you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 12, if you have, if you have Bibles. And I, I'm going to give you my subject today. I'm, I want to talk from the subject, the theme, the title, Running With Horses. Look at your neighbor, say, running with horses. Now, y'all got to be a little bit more stronger than that. You got you to have attitude, say, running with horses. Yeah, that's, I like that. I like that. And I, I, I want to uh, preach from this passage in Jeremiah chapter 12, but I want to start off with a story. I want to tell you a story. Um, one morning, uh, I was awakened by a call from my oldest daughter. I have six kids. My oldest daughter, Sarah, uh, she um, uh, was living at the time in Orlando, Florida. She was uh, teaching school, and she was a high school basketball coach for girls basketball. She had been desirous and anxious to become a college coach for women's basketball. And she had applied at all of these different schools to get a college job. And uh, finally, uh, she felt she had the prime opportunity at a school in Jacksonville, Florida. And she was excited about this opportunity. She applied for the job. She interviewed. She felt she did well. Um, and even though the school was 90 minutes from Orlando, 90 minutes from where she lived, she was willing to make the commute. She was going to have to pay. Uh, uh, um, she's getting, she was going to get paid less than she was being paid. But she thought it would be an opportunity for her to get her foot in the door. Are y'all with me? She thought she'd get her foot in the door, so she was willing to take it. But she called me this particular morning crying uncontrollably. Matter of fact, she was crying so hard and so profusely that uh, I almost didn't recognize her voice. She was crying, and she uh, finally calmed down and, and discovered she did not get the job. She was devastated. She was devastated that she didn't get this job. She thought she had it. She thought she was going to get the job. She was so excited before, but now she found out she didn't get it, and she was devastated. She was uh, just disappointed, so incredibly disappointed and so confused. She said, I'm getting too old to be a college coach. Nobody will ever hire me. There she is at the ripe old age of 30. But I thought I ought to talk to you about that this morning because I suspect that there are some Sarahs in here today. There are some people who have faced challenges in life, situations that you have hopes for, desires for, prayed for, and anticipated that God was going to do something and it didn't happen. And you're frustrated. My problem with my daughter's call is I didn't know what to say to her. The problem I had is I had counseled many other people about the challenges they had faced. But for some reason, I became numb, and I didn't know what to say to my own daughter. 
who needed some, some sense of encouragement and discouragement from her discouragement. She needed some, some sense of encouragement. And uh, I didn't know what to say. That's when Jeremiah's words here in chapter 12 began to speak to me and encourage me. I'm wondering if you will allow me a few moments to talk through these first few verses of Jeremiah chapter 12. Y'all supposed to say, yes, go ahead, Pastor. <laughs> I can see right now this is going to be a long sermon right here, I can tell. <laughs> Jeremiah, let me, let me explain the situation of which Jeremiah is facing. Jeremiah is the pastor, the prophet, the leader of the children of Israel at a time when they were in bondage. Judah in particular, the tribe of Judah are in bondage. They are in captivity. They are in a place of discouragement and frustration too. They, have the re they are discouraged because they have watched some of their relatives and friends be set free from captivity while the bulk of them have remained in bondage. And so they approach their leader, their pastor, their shepherd, their prophet, Jeremiah, and they ask Jeremiah, will he talk to God on their behalf? And it is in chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, that, that Jeremiah talks to God about his, the people's frustration. Walk with me through these first few verses. Verse number 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Stick a pen right there because that's right. They're saying to the Lord, God, when you make choices and decisions and when you act, you are generally spot on. You are, you are right. You hit the nail on the head. You are perfect, wonderful. And so they, 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 uh, Jeremiah's words to God, righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, look at what they say here, verse 1, let me talk with you about your judgments. Let me break that down for you. They're saying, Lord, you normally make right decisions, but can we have a discussion about some of your latest choices? <laughs> then they ask God this question. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are the people who live such raggedy lives seem to be prospering the best? Why is it that the people who are living jacked up, disobedient lives doing so well? Now, look straight ahead, but I know the truth be told, some of y'all have had that question for God. You've wondered, why does God allow the people who don't seem to care about his kingdom, don't seem to care about the things of God, they don't read the Bible, they don't pray, they don't fast, they don't go to church, why do they seem to be doing so well? Why, here you say, here's what you say, why do you have to go outside and hope your hoopty will start up to get you to church while they on Sundays are outside washing their brand new cars? They don't go to church. Thank you very much. I appreciate both of y'all. Thank y'all very much. I'm glad we got somebody that's willing to be honest that what I'm saying is the truth. Y'all go ahead. Look straight ahead. Act like I ain't talking about y'all. But y'all know that deep down you got problems and issues with God because you see people who are nasty and mean and cantankerous and evil and wicked and do the wrong things. They smoke, they drink, they cuss, they party, they whatever they do. And here you are trying to do right. You honoring God. You in church. You pay your tithes. You go to small group meetings. You 
You do all the right things and you're struggling. I'm doing the best I can. Why is it, they say right here, does the way of the wicked prosperous and why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Why are people who are the nastiest people? Y'all ever met some nasty people? If you haven't met any nasty people, then chances are you probably are the nasty person. Why are those happy who deal so treacherously that are mean and cantankerous and all of that to other people, disrespectful, rude? Why do they seem to be so happy? And yet here I am trying to treat people right, smiling, doing good, loving people, and we're struggling. Then, then he says in verse 2, look at verse 2. I'm just walking down through here. I'll be finished. I'll, I, I'll be finished when I get done. Look at verse 2 right here. <laughs> you have planted them, yes. They have taken root. They grow, yes. They bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. Now, now here's, what that, here's what that means. Now, this is, this is a key verse, too. He says, they are where they are because of you, Lord. You planted them. Yes, they've taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. They're, they're, everything that's happened to them, Lord, is because of you. And isn't that true of everybody? It's true that you cannot get to where any place in life without God. You did not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Whatever blessings you have in life, God made it happen. He opened up the door. He gave you the job. He helped you to go to college. He gave you the opportunity. He opened the door. And so he says to God, you're the one, you're the reason that they've got the blessings. But then he says this, the problem with this, he's pointing out what he feels is their problem. You are near in their mouth, but far from their minds. You are near. They know how to talk the lingo. They know church talk. But their hearts are on the opposite extreme. They don't really, you're really not the core of their being. You are near in their mouth. They know the church lingo. They know what to say around church people. When you ask them how they're doing, they say, y'all know the people I'm talking about. They know the church lingo. I'm blessed and highly favored. But when church is over and when they get out of the presence of church people, they cuss like sailors. They're not listening to gospel music on their cars. Their radio is tuned in to other stuff. They, they are people who, they're, they're, he says this, their minds and their hearts are far from you. But then when it gets to verse 3, are y'all still with me? Have, have I lost you yet? But he says in verse 3, but you, oh Lord, but you, Lord, oh Lord, you know me. You've seen me. You've tested my heart towards you. Look at that. <laughs> y'all missed it. Hey, here's what, let, let me break it down to you. Here's what they're saying to God. Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm your boy. <laughs> I'm your friend. I am a friend of God. They're saying, I'm a friend of God. They, they say it right here. He says, says, you know me. You see me. You know what my heart is right toward you. You've tested my heart. You know I'm pure. I don't got the issues that those other wicked people have. I'm on a plane higher than them. I'm better than them. 
And I deserve some of these blessings. I, I don't understand why they are prospering and I'm struggling. Now, I can tell that there's some people in here that have had those kinds of thoughts toward God. I know it's not safe to say it out loud, but deep, oh. <laughs> but deep down in your heart, you know you got issues. Why is the Lord letting me struggle as pure as, pure as I is? That's not good English, but it's good preaching. Go ahead, Pastor. Why do they seem to be doing so well and I'm doing so bad? And then he makes a startling appeal to God. It's, it's, a, it's a shock to me that he makes a suggestion to God that it's hard for me to comprehend. He says in verse 3, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. Y'all missed it. It went over your head. Let me break it down to you. Here's what he's saying. The prophet Jeremiah, in his dialogue with God, says, kill them. Take them out. Y'all might not want to be honest and truthful with me. But you know that there's some people that you would be very happy if God just took them out. Okay, maybe it's me. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But there's a whole lot of people that if God took them out, I would praise his name and give him the glory. He's making a suggestion to God to kill them. And the reason he's making that suggestion to them on behalf of the people of God is because they have concluded, he has concluded, and they have concluded that somehow the blessing that they should have gotten, Judah, the people of God, has somehow landed at the doorstep of the wicked. Now, y'all might not want to, again, I, I just, I, they, Pastor Darius, y'all didn't tell me that the one o'clock crowd will perpetrate like they don't have nothing to say about what I'm talking about. You didn't tell me that, but I want to try to help you comprehend and understand the tragedy of their theology. They, they have a problem. They have concluded. They have said that their blessings have landed at somebody else's doorstep. But I, 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 I'm, to those who had that same mentality, let me try to bring you up to speed and tell you that when God uh, has a blessing for you, he's not going to send it to your neighbor. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And he's, he's got, he's got, he's, 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 he knows exactly where you live, what, what you need and what you stand in the need of. And he's not going to send your blessing to somebody else's house. As a matter of fact, what I'm trying to do is get the church people to stop being so cantankerous against people who are blessed in your neighborhood. Don't, don't be jealous of your neighbor's blessings. You know why? Because if God blesses your neighbor, it means he's in the neighborhood. And guess what? If he's in the neighborhood, here's what you got to say to yourself. If, if God is in the neighborhood, I might be next. My, my blessing might be coming next. Amen. I celebrate you. I'm glad you got blessed. I'm glad you got a new car. I'm glad God opened the door for you. I'm glad you got a promotion. Don't be jealous. Don't play a hate. Don't, don't hate the player. Learn the game that the player is playing. Yeah. 
I'm preaching better than y'all are saying amen. That's all I got to say. <laughs> then uh, he's, he's made this suggestion for God to kill them, which is crazy. But then he says this in verse 4. I'm almost finished. I gave y'all plenty of time. I want somebody to say, take your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. How long will the land mourn, he says in verse 4, and the herbs of the field, of every field wither? The beasts and the birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there. Listen to what they're saying. Here's what he's suggesting. The land is mourning. The herbs of the field are withering. The beasts and the birds are destroyed. And it's happening. Our country's going down, 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 the, down the pike, down the road. Things are falling apart. The land is mourning. The herbs are being destroyed. The birds and beasts are consumed. And here's, here's why, he says, for the wickedness of those who dwell there. Now, let me break that down for y'all. Listen, let me come and tell y'all something. Just get with me for a few minutes. When I get done at 1 o'clock today, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm headed back to Maryland. Y'all don't have to deal with me no more, but just listen to me for just a moment. There's a problem with this theology here. And it's unfortunately the theology that has been adopted in America. And that is a theology that has decreed that the problems in our country are because of what wicked people do. Because of the wickedness of wicked people. That's what they said. For the wickedness of those who dwell there, that's why the herbs is, are, are, are withering and the land is mourning and the beasts and birds are consumed. This is why the finances of our country, the financial situation is going down the pike because of wicked people. But the truth of the matter is this. Let me straighten out your theology. God does not destroy or judge a nation because of the wickedness of wicked people. I know that's a little crazy because our theology, this is what we believe. We believe that our nation has problems because of what wicked people do. But I need to bring this to your, I need to try to straighten out your theology and put you on a different pike to understand wicked people can't do anything but wicked. Stop, don't, <laughs> slow down, pastor, just slow down. Wicked people can't do righteousness. You didn't do righteous till you accepted Jesus. You, you can't do right. You can't live holy until Jesus comes and lives in your heart and changes your heart and breaks the chain from off of your life. Wicked people have no choice but to live wicked and to be wicked and to walk in wickedness. They can't change till the Holy Spirit comes in their life and changes the way they live. So why does God judge a nation if wicked people can't do anything but do wickedness? God judges a nation because, I tell you why he does it, because the people who call themselves Christian are living wicked. I know y'all don't like that kind of preaching, but I'm deeply troubled. I'm deeply troubled that the righteous people are still calling themselves Christians, but not living in a way that's acceptable to God. It's, it's the Christians that are shacking. It's the Christians that are playing the numbers. Amen, pastor. It's the Christians that drink and smoke. 
It's, it's the people, it's the Christians that are racist. It's the church people with the Bible in one hand and their mindset and hearts that are the opposite of God's ways in the other hand. You know what I love about this church? I love that this church is, not, is a reflection of the community where it's a mixture of blacks and whites and Asians and Hispanics. It ought to be that way across the whole land, but it's not. 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock is still the segregated hours of the day on Sunday. White people go to their church, black people go to their church, and yet we say we Christians. That's why, okay, y'all got quiet on me there. That's why God judges a nation. And here's what God says, judgment begins at the house of God. God begins to judge a nation because the Christians are not doing the right things. That's the challenge and the issue that God has with them. But hold up, let me roll on unless I bore you. Have I lost you yet? Let me try a little harder if I haven't. It is this, this is the issue. So his, here they are pleading this case and bringing these issues and putting the blame in the wrong places. And finally, when we get to verse 5, God says, I'm tired of you talking, Jeremiah. Shut up. And it is in verse 5 that God begins to correspond and communicate with Jeremiah, and he asks Jeremiah a question. He says, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? God responds to Jeremiah's prayer and request on behalf of the people with his own question. He says, if you've run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how, then how can you contend with horses? Now, that's an interesting question. And this, he, God asked the question, not because he does not know the answer, because he knows the answer, but he is trying to convey a message to Jeremiah. And, and let me spend just a few moments and break this down for you. Go ahead, Pastor, break it down for us. Okay, I will. <laughs> back in that day, I need to explain this to you. I need to tell you that back in that day when, when uh, there was wars or if one nation was attacking another nation or one army was attacking another army, the way they started their wars were by sending in what's called footmen or foot soldiers. What is unique about foot soldiers? They're not the smartest. They're not the fastest. They're not the best equipped. They're not the strongest. But what's unique about them is that there's thousands, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them sent in, and they have one assignment. They're to go in and thin out the armies that they are attacking. They're to go in and weaken by thinning out and taking out as many soldiers as they can when they go in. That's what a foot soldier is. And, and, and I wanted to talk to you today, and I wanted to preach to you about this today, and I wanted to take the time and challenge you today and tell you that God says to Jeremiah, he says to Jeremiah, the things that y'all are complaining about are foot soldiers. There's, so, so the foot soldiers come in, so, slow down. Slow down, Pastor Jenkins, slow down. The foot soldiers come in, and after the foot soldiers comes the horses, the soldiers on horses, stronger, better equipped, smarter, better fighters. They come in on soldiers. So the foot soldiers come in first, then the, the men on horses. Foot soldiers first, then the horses. God says, what you are facing, Jeremiah, and what you're complaining about and what you're asking me about 
are light compared to what's coming. And I thought I ought to talk to you about this today because some of you are down in the inner recesses of your heart having some questions about God. And my assignment is to tell you that what you are dealing with are foot soldiers. Yeah, I don't expect nobody to shout or be glad about it. But what God is trying to get you to understand that he's trying to take you to a greater place, take you to a higher call, take you to a much richer destiny, but you have to learn how to handle the foot soldiers, the stuff that's wearing you out and, been, and, and frustrating you and making you unhappy. He says, how are you going to handle horses if you are frustrated and want to quit with the foot soldiers? Some of you got foot soldiers. What is that? Not being used. That's a foot soldier. You got talents and gifts, but you feel unappreciated. Foot soldier. Being overlooked and nobody calling on you. Foot soldiers. Being misunderstood by people who should understand you. Foot soldiers. Can't find a wife or a husband. Foot soldier. Not getting the contracts that you wanted to get, that you applied for or bid it on. Foot soldiers. Can't get the job that you wanted, foot soldiers. Amen. Disrespected by people you want to respect, wants, you want to respect you, foot soldiers. Amen. Everybody else on your job getting a promotion, but not you, foot soldiers. Amen. Wife won't give you none, foot soldiers. <laughs> God's. <laughs> God is telling them and trying to get them to understand that they're, they're getting worn out and what they are facing is light. And so my, my assignment today is to tell you that yes, what you're facing are foot soldiers. It's nothing compared to what's coming down the pike. It's foot soldiers. And you crying, you complaining, you frustrated, you feel defeated already, but guess what? Instead of crying and complaining, what my assignment is to tell you is don't get weary, don't get frustrated, remind yourself that I didn't have these foot soldiers in my life, but I'm still here. I'm still in the battle. I'm still in the midst of the run. I'm still worshiping God. I'm still giving him the glory. I'm still in church. I'm still giving him praise. I'm still here. Somebody high-five your neighbor. Say, I'm still here. I'm right here. I'm in the midst of it. I still got my hands raised. I still got my heart pointed toward God. I'm still serving in the kingdom of God. I'm still giving him the glory. Yeah, I've had issue after issue after issue after issue after issue, but I'm still here. I could have lost my mind, but I didn't. You could have cussed them out. But you didn't. You could have given them a piece of your mind, but you didn't. You could have told them where to go and what to do, but you didn't. You, could, you have stayed in there. You are running with the foot soldiers. So you're still here. As a matter of fact, somebody said, why should I, why should I be celebrating that the foot soldiers are here? Here's why, because foot soldiers are indications that you're headed in the right direction. 
Yeah, that's the fact that I got all of these issues. See, the devil is not going to try to stop you if you're going in the same direction he wants you that he's going. He's trying to discourage you because here's what the devil knows that you don't know. He knows that you're getting close to your destiny. He knows something that you haven't quite understood that you're getting closer to what God created you to do to inflict damage on his kingdom. And so instead of complaining that, that everything breaking down at the same time, all the stuff going wrong at the same time, <laughs> I've learned, let me tell you this, I've learned that before every significant elevation in my life, before every significant achievement, before every significant movement in my life, I always face foot soldiers. So when foot soldiers come in my life now, you know what I do now? I say, praise the Lord, God about to do something big. Something about to break, something about to break loose up in here. God about to open up a door up in here, up in here, up in here. So I get excited. I give God praise. I'm giving him a shout. It means I'm headed in the right direction. And you know what? Foot soldiers are indicators and precursors to horses. Nobody ever shouts when I say that. And I, I understand why. I know you would say, well, why should I be excited that the horses are coming? Why should I be excited? Well, you know, uh, here's what God told me about horses. I'm, I'm almost finished. <laughs> I like this side of the building over here. <laughs> Let me just come over here and preach to this side right here. Them jokers over there, I don't know what's wrong with them. Um, horses are strong. I was preaching in Indianapolis, Indiana one time, and Outside of my hotel, I could see downtown Indianapolis. They were having this big fair, big party going on downtown. And I saw the police officers on horses. I said, let me go down and look at these horses. I had never been around a horse before. I went down and looked at the horses. They were huge, humongous. I had never been around a horse before. I saw how big they were. And, and, and I asked the, the, the police officer, why are y'all on these horses? He said, he told, began to teach to me about horses. He said, horses are strong. They can run long distances. They rest while they're standing, uh, and they can run in the heat and the cold. He said, what we do is we use these horses, and we can control large crowds with these horses because people cannot compete with a horse. He says, we're going to control a crowd. We just back these horses up and move these horses against the crowd. We can control the crowd. And I said to myself, that's amazing. But here God is asking the question of Jeremiah. He says, if the footmen have worn you out, what are you, how are you going to contend with horses? Now, this is, this is a shock to me that God is asking this question. Again, it's not because God doesn't know the answer to the question. But here's what this means. God is saying to them that there's horses that are coming. Now, part of my job here is to tell somebody. I don't know who it is. It might be three, four, five. It, it, okay, it's both of y'all right here. Let me go ahead. Go ahead. That there's something big and huge and incredible is coming down the pike. See, so here, let me break it down for you. God is saying, if you are frustrated 
And if you are disappointed and if, if the electric bill is wearing you out, if your, if your cell note is about to take you out, what you going to do when I give you a business and you have to pay the bill for the whole staff that you've got? So my job is to tell you the horses are coming. They're coming. I know, that you, I, know you're, and I know you're not excited, but some of you are about to move into a dimension of your life where God's going to take you places. God's about to anoint you and use you and take you to places that you never dreamed, never imagined, never anticipated. God, the God that we serve, the Jesus that we worship, is about to open up some doors and take you to places that you never dreamed or imagined. But if your little old uh, cell bill is tripping you out, how can you contend with horses? Well, I feel tension in the room. Pastor Darius, I feel tension in the room. Pastor Mabel, I feel tension in the room. Because people don't understand. My job is to try to tell you all today. This is why I came. This is why I flew all the way from Maryland to come and tell Atlanta. I'm sorry, is this... Norcross, is that where we are? Atlanta. I had to tell Atlanta, somebody here in Atlanta, God wanted me to let you know that there's some horses coming in your life. You say, but pastor, horses are strong, horses are fast, horses rest while they're standing, horses can run in the heat and the cold, and a man can't compete with a horse. So what, what are you saying? If you put a man up against a horse, you can't compete with that. I can't run, I can't outrun a horse. I can't stand up against a horse and compete against it. True, in the natural. But when God asks the question, it is his expectation for you to do something supernaturally that you can't do naturally. I'm trying to break this down for you. Here's what God is trying to say. He's trying to say, what you cannot do in your natural abilities, I'm going to gift and anoint you to do supernaturally. Thank all 17 of y'all for that rousing applause and celebration. I'm just trying to preach to let somebody here to know up in this camp to let you know that God is about to anoint you and gift you and appoint you and use you and empower you to do something that in, oh, oh, wait, 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 that in your own strengths and abilities you can't do, but by his strength and ability, by his power, by his anointing, by his grace, you shall do it. You will walk in it. You will achieve it. You will rise up. You will do it. You are going to run with the horses. You are going to do great and significant things. I don't know who I'm preaching to. (laughs) You will do it. You will achieve. You will accomplish. You will go through great things. (laughs) I, listen... I'm, <laughs> I'm running with horses. I'm doing things in my life that I never dreamed or imagined I would do. I is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Glenarden. 12,000 people, doctors, lawyers, educators, professional athletes come to the First Baptist Church of Glenarden and I is the pastor. 
Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? I am the chairman of the board of the National Association of Evangelicals. I'm not qualified to do any of that. I don't even have a college degree. Uh, I did not graduate from high school cum laude, summa cum laude, magna cum laude. I graduated, thank you, Lordy. Anybody understand that part? with the horses. I'm doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing. One month, one month ago, I preached at the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas, Bishop T.D. James. Wait a minute. I'm preaching in Victory Church here today in Atlanta. I'm not qualified. I shouldn't be here, but God said I'm going to do something in you, with you, through you that you're not qualified to do. I'm going to use you, gift you, anoint you to run with the horses. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running with the horses. I'm, okay, let me, my time is up. I got to. <laughs> you with me still, bro? He's so cool. This guy right here, he's been with me all day. Ain't cracked a smile the whole day. I done preached my heart out. But I'm proud of you. He's security. You're security, ain't you? Protect, doing his job. I'm proud of you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm suiting you, man. Yes, Lord, Jesus. Let me close with this. I don't want to leave you hanging by my daughter. I told y'all she was crying that day, boo-hooing, because she didn't get the job in Jacksonville. One year after that, she called me one morning. I answered the phone. She says, Dad. I said, Sarah. She said, do you remember Coach Barnes? Yeah, Coach Barnes was her coach when she played at Georgetown. When she was on the Georgetown basketball team, she played on Georgetown. She was one of the assistant coaches. She said, Dad, you remember she got a job being assistant at Wake Forest. Then she got a job being a head coach at the University of Charleston in South Carolina. She said, Dad, she got offered a head coaching job, and she called me to see if I would be one of her assistant coaches. I said, what? Just a year ago, you were come crying to me and thinking that you would never get a job opportunity because you was at the ripe old age of 30, and then nobody wants you to be the, one of the assistant coaches. And she said, yes, she got a job. And guess where it is, Dad? I said, I don't know. It said Georgetown. Wow. So she went to be a head, an assistant coach with Coach Barnes at Georgetown, and they were there for four years. Then she went to the, they, the, the, the team, the staff, went to the University of Delaware. That's where the president went to school, Delaware. She was there for four years. And then just this past June, she started a new job being an assistant coach at Penn State University. Wow. 
don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't know who the message is for. But all I need to tell you is God is about to take you places. Stop crying. Stop complaining. Stop moping. Deal with the footmen and get ready to run with the horses. Here's my letter. Dear church, throughout my life and time in ministry, I've learned countless lessons. Even though I've committed my life to walking alongside our Father in heaven, I've gone through some very challenging seasons. I've been broken and I've been mended. But through it all, one thing has remained true. God is and has always been with me. As a part of the body of Christ, I know that if he is always with me, then he is surely always with you. So let's talk about it. We have been stretched on every side. We've lost loved ones, jobs, and much more. While many have struggled, you may have seen some undeserving folks gain in this season. Pandemic, politics, and racial tension aside, perhaps you thought at this point in life you'd be further along whether relationally, in your career, or otherwise. In the wake of this season, it's normal to wonder, what has been the meaning of all this? Or like the biblical prophet Jeremiah, you could be asking God, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Many of you are, by now, weary, frustrated, or plain angry with God and ready to throw in the towel. With all of that being acknowledged, I am writing to you today to tell you why you must never give up on your faith or your journey no matter how tempted you may be or how bad things get. Why not? How would you feel if you knew and truly accepted that all of these challenges were for your good? Do you believe all of these little things could be training ground and preparation for where God is taking you and who he has created you to be? God responded to Jeremiah's concerns and complaints by asking, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? What does this mean to us today? It means if we cannot handle the trials we currently face, how then can we face what is to come? Simply put, stop complaining. Dry your tears, dear church. You are daughters and sons of the king. And it's time to run with the horses. Just look at the world around you. Don't you see? Maybe more than ever, it's time to stand firm in our faith. If you are disappointed and weary, hold on to God. Call on him even more. Yes, this life is full of trials, but know that the harder the trial, the bigger the calling and the blessing. Stand up from your sitting place. Don't envy others' gains. Don't allow this world to watch, wash over you. Give your whole heart to Jesus, knowing if he is for you, no one can be against you. If you are bound, he will break the chains and deliver you. If you struggle with self-doubt, he can give you the strength, ability, know-how, and anointing to do those things you can't do on your own. You can run with the horses. Stop worrying about the small stuff around you. Those are tricks of the enemy attempting to make you lose sight of what God created you for. You can overcome. Get your eyes up and lift your heads up. Beloved church, I pray 
that this message will take root, guiding your perspectives on life's challenges as it has done so for me. Know that as long as you have breath in your lungs, you are still in the game. God won't bring you this far to leave you. Hold tightly to our Father in heaven and his word. And please remember, he is always with you and keep running with the horses. Sincerely, John K. Jenkins, Sr.